Welcome to Stories of Terra. My name is Guy Black, or Raven Hood on the interwebs, and I'm just a humble storyteller here to draw you into the vast world of Terra by Riot Games. The Riot Games community has crafted an incredible universe, and hopefully today's episode doesn't get you too wound up. Each week, we jump into the Riot Games universe and narrate something from the world of Terra off of the Riot Games universe site. Think of it as an audiobook of league stories and lore, kind of haphazardly and to the best of my ability, put together by yours truly. This week's story, and one that wasn't so much a fan request of yours, but a request of uh, one of my personal fans, my wife, was Oriana. The Lady of Clockwork. And now for my terrible impression. When a moth emerges from its chrysalis, does it remember its life as a caterpillar? Once a curious girl of flesh and blood, Oriana is now a technological marvel composed entirely of clockwork. She became gravely ill after an accident in the lower districts of Zon and her failing body had to be replaced with exquisite artifice piece by piece. Accompanied by the extraordinary brass orb that houses her Hextech arsenal, Oriana is now free to explore the wonders of Piltover and beyond. Thanks again for tuning in to uh, Legends of Runeterra. No, it's not Legends of Runeterra. I don't own that. I do a podcast called Stories of Runeterra, if you didn't know. It has been a little bit of a hectic time in my life, if you can't tell, but we're making it. And I just had the delight of pruning my lemon tree that I have in my backyard, and I made some fresh lemonade. For some of you folks out there, this weekend was Easter weekend. Um, I know some folks refer to it as Resurrection Sunday. I, what, whatever your tradition or background calls it, happy Easter to you. Uh, it's a one of the most... To me, in my own life, one of the most important holidays. And um, I really loved it. And it was a little hard today because I got off on the wrong track with my daughter. And it's a journey. But we live and we learn and we get a little better and we learn to transform. I think kind of like Oriana. Uh, But I made some lemonade out of the lemons in my backyard. So life gave me lemons in two ways and I'm trying to make some lemonade out of it. So there's your life lesson for the day that has nothing to do with Oriana. But thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. And let's jump into this week's story. And just as a side note, if you guys have been listening to this podcast for a really, really, really long time, you'll know that I've already recorded Ori, but I'm going to start going back through some of my older recordings now that I kind of have the hang of what I like to do with this and revisit them in this shorter format so you don't have to listen to the full like half hour, 45 minute ones, just these short, um, dedicated episodes. So this is Ori number two. Nestled among the eclectic storefronts of Piltover sat the workshop of the renowned artificer Corin Revik. Famous for his masterful craft and artificial limbs, Corin's intricate brass designs made the prosthetics both breathtakingly beautiful and often superior to the originals. His daughter, Oriana, served as his apprentice. Friendly and inquisitive, she was a natural fit to run the shop, and blossomed into a capable artisan in her own right. Oriana had an adventurous spirit, but her father, fearing for her safety, never allowed her to venture beyond their neighborhood. Instead, he took her to the theater, 
where dancers through leaps and pirouettes told stories of distant lands. Oriana dreamed of visiting these strange and marvelous places and would scurry home to build clockwork dancers of her own. News of disaster in the undercity of Zahn made its way to their shop. An explosion had ruptured a chemical line, venting clouds of poisonous gas. Oriana insisted they help the victims, but Corin forbade it. Zahn was far too dangerous. So, with as many supplies as she could carry, Oriana snuck away in the night and rode the hextralic descender into the depths. The devastation was overwhelming. Debris still filled the streets, and Zonites walked through the toxic haze, faces covered with little more than oily rags. Night after night, Oriana repaired respirators and installed isofilters. She even gave her own mask to a child who could scarcely breathe. Her father was furious, but soon after her return, Oriana fell gravely ill. Her lungs were ravaged past all hope of recovery. Refusing to accept this, Corin threw himself into his most ambitious project yet, a fully functional set of artificial lungs. After weeks of sleepless nights, he completed his desperate task and carried out the surgery himself. To keep her from venturing too far again, the lungs were wound with a special key Corin kept in his safe. Oriana returned to work, yet the poison continued to spread through her body, father and daughter worked feverishly to develop new implants and prosthetics, replacing each of her organs as they failed. Piece by piece, Oriana's body was transformed from mortal to mechanical, until only her healthy heart remained. This long and expensive process cost Corin his fortune, forcing him to relocate their business to Zahn, but he saved his daughter's life and for a time they were happy. Gradually, Oriana began to feel disconnected from who she had been before. Old memories felt like stories. Even her creativity began to fade. Her beloved clockwork dancers became more like masterfully tuned mechanisms than works of art. But even as time seemed to stand still for Oriana, it marched onward for her father. Long, lean years brought Corin agonizing chest spasms that meant he could no longer work, and Oriana was forced to provide for him. She'd become profoundly adept at crafting her figurines, even if she took only distant pleasure in recalling what once inspired their creation. The miniature dancers brought in good coin and barter, but never enough to afford the one thing she believed could save her father. For that, she turned to a local Kim Baron. Oriana never asked how the man came by a Hextech crystal. She simply paid what he asked. Even so, before she could use it, the Kim Baron returned demanding a second payment. And a third. And when the money ran out, Oriana knew his next visit would end in violence. She looked to the crystal device, still incomplete, too unrefined and powerful for a human body. She saw the logical solution. She didn't need her human heart anymore, and Corin needed a heart that no one could ever take from him. She spent weeks in preparation, building a clockwork orb, integrating it into her own mechanisms, readying it to house the crystal so she could defend herself in the journey ahead. Slipping her father a sleeping draught, 
she commenced the surgery. Corin became one with the last remnant of the daughter he had known and loved. She listened to his steady heartbeat through the night, the quiet hum of Hextech and the beautifully intricate ball by her side. Only then did she realize she had shed the last of her humanity. But she felt no fear or remorse, merely acceptance. She had become something entirely new, a lady of clockwork, and she needed to find where the world's vast machine she might fit in. At dawn, she collected the key that wound her lungs, a single pulse from her ball, welding it firmly to her back, and then she left for good. Corin woke to find his workshop filled with hundreds of figurines, but among them was one he vowed never to sell, pirouetting in an endless ballet, a golden dancer that needed no key. Today's story is entitled Fadum by Rayla Hyde. Oriana walked through the fairground, empty and still in the evening gloom. Sir Feisterly's fantastical fair opened its gates to delighted crowds of Zonites. But twice a year, and Oriana did not want to miss her chance to see its wonders, she had waited until everyone had left for the day, and the rowdy laughter and accordion tunes had fallen silent. Only the low hum of nearby pipelines pumping steam through the Kim district disturbed the quiet. Detritus lay strewn along the ground, colorful streamers and bright balloons mingling with crumpled wax paper that once held sweet jam pastries. Oriana's clockwork ball hovered beside her as she passed a stall overflowing with roses, which, according to a sign, smelled like each day of the week. She walked by a wind-up monkey, holding a pair of cymbals and a cart laden with sugared apples. None of these Zahn-born delights piqued her interest. Ori had eyes only for the glass cabinet tucked into a secluded corner at the far edge of the grounds. A glimmering wink of metal flashed in the moonlight. It came from the mechanical boy sitting behind the glass. Oriana had seen nothing like him and drew closer, intrigued. He was clad in a midnight blue suit and silk hat. His skin was a shell of pure porcelain that masked the delicate clockwork gears below, and his eyes shone with glints of silver thread. As Oriana approached him, his lips rearranged into a smile. Can you keep a secret? The boy said. His voice reminded Oriana of softly chiming bells. Hello, she said. Of course. What say we make a trade? My secret for your name. That seems fair. I am called Oriana. Oriana, he repeated. Such soft sounds. Oriana could have sworn his porcelain cheeks blushed. I suppose it's my turn. My name is Phyram. My secret is that I fear the outside world, though I long to see distant shores and far-off mountains. Is that why you live in a cabinet? she asked. Because you are afraid. 
from here, the world visits me, said Firem. Behind the glass, I am safe. I'm very fragile, you see. He pointed to a hairline fracture on his forearm. There it is. I'm getting old. Firem's mouth opened into a lopsided grin. Ariana giggled and shrugged her shoulders, a gesture she had recently acquired, though she wasn't quite sure if she had used it correctly. Oh, you haven't seen my tricks yet, said Firem. He reached into his sleeve and produced a bouquet of daisies with a flourish. Ta-da, he exclaimed, and... Firem moved his hat and dipped his head in a nod, a half-dozen mechanical pigeons fluttered from beneath the brim. He brought his hands together in a clap, and the entire cabinet filled with opaque red smoke. By the time it dissipated a few seconds later, the pigeons were gone. Oriana applauded in delight. The ball whirred, impressed. "'Wonderful!' she exclaimed, like magic." That wasn't even my best execution. Fumbled my sleeve a bit, he admitted, folding his hands. But small miracles are my specialty. Like you finding your way to me in this great city. You above all others. You winked at me, said Oriana. Why? We are kindred spirits, you and I. But you already knew that, said Firem. It's why you're here, isn't it? He shuffled his feet. Moriana marveled at the subtlety of his movement. It is just that I have never seen another like you, she said. I'm one of a kind, aren't I? Same as you, said Firem. He gestured toward her mechanical frame and winked again. Oriana smiled. Firem leaned against the glass. Your smile is fabricated, she said. Yes, I am still mastering certain expressions. Beautiful said Firem. Well, now you're going to make me blush. Oriana's ball, hovering at her left shoulder, nudged her gently. Not now, she told the ball. She lifted the mechanical monkey from its stall nearby and turned its key. It scuttled about the floor, eyes lit with a red glow, clashing its cymbals together at every third step before slowing to a halt. You're not like him, are you, Firem? All wound up at the turn of a key, she said. You have a mind. You have thoughts. I may be comprised of cogs and whistles, but I have dreams like anyone. I know you dream of leaving this place. Surely you are lonely behind this glass. Come with me. We could leave now together, Oriana said. Firem's expression fell. I'm afraid I don't know what you mean. You have no doubt listened to the restless bustle of Zon, 
or heard of the grand marvels in Piltover? Oriana asked. Firem cocked his head. I like to ride the rising hell at dusk to catch the last day's golden rays, Oriana said. From the very top, you can see the harbor beyond the sea gates and the endless glistening ocean. From up there, you can imagine the smell of faraway lands. Oriana's ball whirred as it spun in the air and nudged her again. I suppose now is as good a time as any, she said. Firem, would you like to see the world? We could leave together, right now. I can protect you. I can't think of anything more wonderful, he said. Oriana circled the glass cabinet in search of an opening. An iron padlock secured a small door at its base. She raised a fist and brought it down on the lock, smashing it open. A watchman approached them. Hey, stop that! With a glance from Oriana, the ball shot towards the watchman. It clanged upon the impact with his helmet, then hovered in the air as if waiting for a command. Oriana nodded and the ball radiated waves of coruscating power. Caught in the energy flux, the watchman raised his baton and bashed it into the ball, which spun in midair before returning to his target. A second watchman ran toward Oriana. She tried to pull Firem through the door, but his chair jammed in the opening. Firem, can you repeat your trick? The ball reverberated with energy as it whirred around the first watchman. His metal helmet fizzed with sparks. My tricks. Firem reached into his sleeve and pulled out the bouquet as Oriana spun away from the watchman. No, the other one. Firem replaced his bouquet. The very last trick, she said. Quickly. The mechanical boy drew the bouquet from his sleeve once more. Oriana spun toward the watchman, her metal dress fanning out in a flurry of sharp blades until the man backed away, bat baton raised. Get away from him, you, said the watchman. It's our property you're tampering with. From here, the world visits me, Firem said. He tipped his hats and the pigeons poured out. The watchman aimed his baton at Oriana's head, and she ducked as Firem clapped. The baton shattered the side of the glass cabinet, and crimson smoke poured from the opening, obscuring all movement. The first watchman had responded to the ball's galvanic attacks with rageful abandon, throwing all his weight into every punch. The ball was relentless, however, and shot a final blast of energy toward his helmet, and the watchman fell down unconscious. Whirring in satisfaction, the ball flew to Oriana. It unleashed voltaic waves toward the second watchman, rendering him motionless. Oriana stepped into the smoke-filled cabinet. She lifted the mechanical boy from his chair, but his legs would not flex to stand. Firem! Firem! We must leave! Leave? I'm afraid I don't know what you mean. A pair of metallic pigeons flew through the broken glass but dropped to the ground a few feet from the door. Firem, stand up so we can go, Oriana said, her face falling. Please. Oh, you haven't seen my tricks yet. He pulled the bouquet from his sleeve. Oriana ignored Firem's attempt to tip his hat and dragged him, still fixed in a seated posture from the glass enclosure. Outside, her ball had cornered the second watchman, who had collapsed in a buzzing heap. And that wasn't even my best execution, 
fumbled my sleeve a bit, said Phyram. You are not your voices repeating, Oriana said. His head lolled back awkwardly and she held it upright. My secret is that I fear the outside world, he said. Oriana noticed the embroidery lining his jacket. Sir Feisterly's fantastical fair, friendly Phyra. He was nothing more than a simple automaton, a spectacle for the crowds. I was certain you had a mind, had thoughts, like me, she said. Phyram looked up at her with eyes that glinted with silver. I'm one of a kind, aren't I? He shuffled his feet nervously, though they were in midair. Same as you. The ball returned to Orion and word gently. We should go, she whispered. She set Phyram back upon his chair, which she placed just outside the shattered glass cabinet. I wish you well. Small miracles are my specialty, he said, like you finding your way to me. Goodbye, Phyram, said Oriana softly. The two watchmen lay unconscious on the ground. The ball hovered at her side as she walked away. She did not look back as she was clear of the park's towering gates. As she turned, she thought she saw a glint of metal winking in the distance. Thanks again for listening to this week's Stories of Runeterra episode. I'm not going to do this every week, but every now and then I'm going to slowly be going back through and re-recording some of the um, previous episodes from the older formats, mostly my double ones that I did way back when I started. So we'll get to revisit Brand and Rise and some of these other iconic characters that you may have missed uh, if you just didn't go through and listen to the entire backlog. So we'll do those in this format, and then we'll have all our episodes in the same format, and it'll be all nice and neat. And uh, hopefully this weekend and this week, if you get some lemons, you can go make some lemonade, figuratively or literally. Anyway, happy Easter, and I hope you get some rest and find your heart somewhere in this day. <laughs>